Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Thursday, July 13th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's what we're covering today. Wealthy nations grapple with the rise in global migration. Plus, Ron DeSantis's Iowa ground game. But first, slowing inflation finally shows up in our daily lives. That's today's one big thing. Yesterday, we got two big signs that the inflation fever is breaking. Wages are now rising faster than inflation. Real average hourly earnings are up 1.2 percent for the 12 months that ended in June. And consumer prices in June had their smallest annual increase since March of 2021. So that means day-to-day costs like eggs are down, with the average price at around $2.22 a dozen. Remember back in December? It was $4.25. Axios' Courtney Brown is here with how the power of our money looks different today. So, Courtney, inflation has now eased for 12 consecutive months. Does that mean the worst of the inflation crisis is finally behind us? It does look that way. The Consumer Price Index came out on Wednesday morning, and it was a crowd pleaser. I think consumers would be happy to see the type of progress that we've made on inflation in a relatively short period of time. So the Consumer Price Index measures a basket of goods. What are those prices looking like now compared to the last year or so? Okay, so if you flash back to literally June uh, 2022, the 12-month change in the Consumer Price Index was 9% thereabouts. Flash forward, it's about 3%. A lot of that decline is because of sharply lower energy prices, other commodities like food, which had run up in price after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So gasoline prices, for instance, are down 27 percent from this time last year, which is just wow. And, you know, that's a big part of consumers' budgets. Food prices rose by 0.1 percent. That's even milder than they rose in May. Used car prices, which had also run up a great deal during the pandemic, well, they fell outright by 0.5 percent. So these are everyday items that consumers have to pay for that Either price gains are getting much, much more tolerable, or in some cases, prices are declining outright. Where else are Americans going to see the effects of cooling inflation show up in their day-to-day lives? If you're going on vacation, maybe you've noticed your airfare is a little bit cheaper than it was this time last year. In June alone, airfare fell 8%. They're down double digits from the same time last year. So the result of that is consumers may feel a little bit more willing to pay up for airfare that's looking a lot cheaper than it was this time last year. Courtney, last time we were talking about inflation, you were talking about the last mile of inflation and how hard that might be for policymakers to tame. What does this data tell us about how good of a job the Fed is really doing on this? Inflation is still too high for the Federal Reserve. And so they are probably going to do another rate hike later this month after pausing last month. So they definitely do not want to declare victory yet because we've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go yet to get to a more normal level of inflation that we saw before the pandemic hit. Courtney Brown is one of the authors of Axios Macro, an economics reporter for us. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks, Nyla. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is taking his presidential campaign on an Iowa blitz months before the GOP caucuses there. What's the goal of this strategy? Here's Axios congressional reporter Sophia Kai. 
Iowa is really important for both DeSantis and Trump because it's the first caucus. And if Trump wins by a landslide, then he can cement this narrative that he's the overwhelming frontrunner. He can start thinking about the general election. But if DeSantis wins, or if even DeSantis comes in a close second and outperforms expectations there, then that disrupts this narrative. That gives DeSantis and other GOP candidates a chance. DeSantis has been spending a lot of money, and yet his numbers are still sagging. He's been crisscrossing the state with his wife, Casey, who's targeting conservative women, and he's busy fundraising for members of Congress from Iowa, as well as the Attorney General of Iowa. His political action committee has about 200 people on the ground knocking on doors, getting people to commit to caucusing. You know, that's a lot of groundwork. Trump also has a pretty robust Iowa ground operation, but he's sitting out this weekend. And he's also sitting out Congresswoman Ashley Hinson's barbecue, and he's previously canceled an event. And that strategy of mostly sticking to events where he's the only speaker, it could be smart, but it also risks being seen as not hustling or not caring. And that may be a problem in a state where voters are used to having a lot of face time with presidential candidates. Remember, we're still six months away, so a lot could change between now and when the first votes are cast. That's Axios political reporter Sophia Kai. In a moment, a migration spike shows up in politics across the world. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. Migration has spiked around the world. Last year, 2.9 million applications for asylum were submitted. That's more than any other year since at least 2000, according to U.N. data. And wealthy nations are struggling with the influx. Axios' Steph Kite reports that migrants are also increasingly willing to take dangerous, unauthorized passages to Europe and the U.S., which is fueling anti-immigrant politics. She's here now with the big picture. Hi, Steph. Hi, Nyla. Steph, can you explain why we're seeing this boom in migration globally right now? Whenever you are dealing with migration trends like this, there are always multiple reasons for this. You know, one is that there are a lot of crises that are going on around the world right now. Um, You even just look at the impact we've seen post-COVID with the Afghanistan fall to the Taliban and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. There's a record number of forcibly displaced people in the world right now, according to UN statistics. In addition to that, global economic disparity is worsening. And so, of course, you're going to have people who are wanting to flee poor economic conditions and head toward countries that have more stable economies and potentially more jobs. So those are kind of some of the push factors that are forcing people to leave. And so for the people who are wanting to head to places that are more stable or wealthier, how are countries like Australia, the Netherlands and the UK dealing with this? I mean, we've certainly seen a political backlash to some of these trends in migration, Um, just kind of looking at some of the recent actions taken by politicians. I mean, even look at the Netherlands recently. They had, you know, a kind of a collapse of their government over the weekend over disagreements around whether to limit the number of refugees or asylum seekers they admit. The far-right party in Germany has recently won a local government position, which was a really big deal, and that party often touts anti-immigrant policies. Then we've also seen the growth of Stop the Boats movements in Australia and the UK, which is, of course, referencing migrant 
boats that often are full of refugees and asylum seekers looking to start fresh. Hundreds were killed, including many children, when a migrant boat capsized off the coast of Greece last month. There were more than 750 people likely on board that ship. How has that tragedy and others like it shaped the international conversation around migrants? I think instances like that boat capsizing really have captured the world's attention that this is increasingly a problem. And it goes to show as well how visual this movement is, the way that you can really see the desperation, you see the issue in front of you. When you look at the coverage of of these ships or people at the border, it lends itself to kind of political discussions that tend to be emotional. Politicians love to play on people's emotions. And I think that is a big part of why we've seen the conversation go in the direction it's gone. One thing that's interesting to me about the way we've seen so many of these wealthier nations react to these migration trends is that in the long term, experts agree that many of these wealthy nations will need immigration more and more in order to continue their own economic growth because of falling birth rates, because of aging populations. But because of the way these refugees and asylum seekers are traveling to these borders in kind of chaotic and overwhelming ways, people are responding to the emotional moment. And we're seeing Republicans, in particular, far-right politicians, take advantage of the current moment and pushing for more restrictive policies. Steph Geit covers immigration for Axios's political team. Thanks, Steph. Thanks, Nyla. One final note. We'll be airing the next installment of our summer book series soon, and I'd love to know what you're reading. If you can record a voice memo of your recent or all-time favorite summer reads and text it to me at 202-918-4893, we may use it on the show. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. I'd like to tell you about the Big Take podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom, like how AI will upend your life, why China's targeting the U.S. dollar, and how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg, wherever you listen.